The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Inspire Us. If you've been tuning in to Inspire Us, my previous episodes, you likely know by now that bad things happen to us all, and sometimes they affect some people more profoundly than they do others. But you're not alone. When you have someone in your corner who helps you through the darkness, that can make all the difference in the world, and that's exactly what happened with Jonathan Andrews, my next guest. He experienced loss, but he had someone in his corner that helped him through the darkness. Now, you're going to hear Jonathan's incredible story, and not only are you going to hear how he moved beyond what he was experiencing, but also how all those events in his life shaped him to be the man that he is today. Now, he helps so many others get through their anxiety and their depression and get on with their lives. So here's a little bit about Jonathan. Jonathan is an advocate for Jack.org, Canada's leader in the movement for youth mental health education. He's also the founder and vice president of marketing at Project Circle Up, a global community of men's circles where men are challenged to become self-sufficient, find and live their purpose, and to be the men that they've always wanted to be. Jonathan also works as a keynote speaker with clients like RBC, Ontario Power Generation, and hundreds of schools across Canada to transform communities into safe places for mental health conversations. Now, when Jonathan's not speaking, you can find him testing his hand at poetry or searching for a dance floor to embarrass himself on or even seeking adventures abroad with his roommate and best friend, Chad Lennon. In fact, when I spoke to Jonathan while we were taping this podcast, he was in Mexico. Yeah, he was in Mexico having a great time. I am so impressed by Jonathan, his story, and what he's doing, and I'm certain that you will be too. So without any further delay, I would love to introduce you to Jonathan Andrews. Jonathan Andrews, thank you very much for joining us on Inspire Us and I was reading your bio. Your story is very inspirational, which is why I was so excited to get you on as a guest. You've been through a lot, and not only have you been through a lot, you're actually doing a lot as a result of the experiences that you've gone through. And I know that you work a lot with men, building men's hopes, building men's dreams, and getting men to open up to others because as we all know there are a lot of men and women who are going through a lot of stresses and as a young man you went through this yourself and because of your experience you're reaching out to others and I think that that's a wonderful thing to do. I would like to first start out by uh, there was a quote that you made on your inspiration hub uh, the connection and it said and I'll just read it we need to stop teaching men to just man up and instead to get them into the community and circle up. And I would love you to expand on that thought. Happy to, and thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Um, that quote is accumulation of about five years of work in the mental health space. And when I look back, you know, even more than that, about a decade of work in personal development. And that's uh, basically self-help. And, and all of that comes together to say that when I say we teach men to just man up, it's not really a one-on-one -on -one conversation that we have with them. We say, hey, man, like, you know, whatever you're going through, like, just suck it up. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't happen very often. But what we tend to see and the role models that we tend to look up to that are very masculine, whether it's 
through media or it's through movies or whatever, uh, you know, maybe it's sports. These men, um, you know, they, from the exterior seem like impenetrable, right? Uh, we don't see what happens in their private lives. And so when we look up to these men, it looks like they're lone wolves. It looks like they take on the world of their own. It looks like they're self-made. And the challenge is that is not the reality. It's, it's what we see. And so no matter who you are, man, woman, child, doesn't matter. You will experience struggle. You will experience challenge. You will experience trauma. No one gets through life without, without difficulty. And so when I say, instead of teaching them to just man up, we teach to be part of community. And circle up is one of the ways to do that. It's a men's circle where people can come and share what's actually happening in their lives. And the reason I think it's so valuable is because mental health in the work that I do, we relate it to physical health, where if I broke my wrist, there's no way that I would go home and I would look at it and see, okay, what are all the things that I can do to try to fix this? I wouldn't do that. I would go to the doctor. I would go to a professional. I would go to a physiotherapist and try to work with them. The challenge when it comes to mental health, it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman or, or however you identify. When it comes to mental health, there's so much stigma that instead of I'm struggling with my mental health, instead of going to the professional, which there are dozens of resources available to help support someone, um, whether it's a community structure like Circle Up or if it's like counseling or psychotherapy, um, we don't reach out. We actually uh, stay to ourselves and we try to deal with it on our own. Um, and it doesn't make any sense. No. And why do you suppose that is? Why do you suppose that you hurt yourself, you go see a professional to get it fixed? Whatever's not going right physically, you don't hesitate to go to a doctor. Why is it that we hesitate to actually open up to people and tell them how we're feeling or to ask for help? It, it seems for the most part like it's conditioned, right? We, we injure ourselves and the first thing our parents do is they call a doctor and we go there. How often do you have a sit down with your parents when you're growing up and they look you in the eye and say, hey, this is something that I'm experiencing and this is how I'm processing it and this is what I'm going through. Those conversations don't typically come up and a total lack of education around what is mental health. Right. How do we take care of it? What does it mean to struggle? What does it look like to struggle? What would be a signs and symptoms of struggling? And so I'm really fortunate. I spent uh, the past three years working with a amazing Canadian charity, Jack.org, that goes into high schools and universities and has these conversations about what is mental health for students and how to be there for yourself and be there for others so that we can take the stigma that's surrounding mental health, which the stigma typically is, if I'm struggling, it means I'm weak. If I'm struggling, it means uh, I can't take care of myself. I'm not uh, resilient. Uh, and so as an example, like if I go to the workplace, I don't want them to, for any reason, believe that I can't do my job because it means that they'll probably want to find somebody else to do the job. And so when we create the foundation that, well, first of all, one in five Canadians will struggle with their mental health in any given year. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like that stat is because, first of all, that's a lot of Canadians. And so if you're struggling right now, you are not alone. And the other reason that I like that stat is in one in five means that five out of five people have the capacity to struggle. And so because everyone has mental health, the question isn't, do you have it or not? Because everyone has it, now we can stand together and we could say, because we all have the capacity to struggle, how can we talk about this differently? And how can we be there for each other when we do struggle? That's an excellent way of looking at things because we've all heard that a child is not raised by one single person. It's raised by a community. It takes a village. It takes a village, exactly. And I think today, uh, well, and I usually say this, today more than ever, but that's not true. Every period of time, uh, people have struggled with one adversity or setback or whatever it is. But today, it just seems to be coming in droves. 2020 mm. has not been kind to people. What would you recommend to men and to women, to anybody listening to this podcast uh, who are struggling with these uh, uncertainties or these, these setbacks? What would you advise them to do? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I don't know if they want to listen to me, but uh, you know, I'm happy to <laughs> happy to share. I'm happy to share, you know, the the best that I can, given that I'm not in their in their situation. I would say there's a lot that I think about for myself personally. If I'm struggling, you said there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. There's a lot of uh, struggle and challenge, and it's you know a lot of hardship. The first place that I go to is control what I can control, and to me that means I can't control anything that happens in the world. Right. Except for how I react to the circumstances. And that's something that I took away from Jim Rohn. And, and uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, Paul, with Jim Rohn. Um, he's a uh, speaker and an author. He passed away in 2009, but he was Tony Robbins' mentor, Les Brown's mentor, some of the big names in personal development. Oh. Um, you know, he mentored these guys. And one of the things that he used to say is that the wind of life blows on us all hardship, difficulty, struggle, trauma, no matter what it is that you're experiencing right now, you are not alone because everyone experiences those hardships. It's your own unique version of that. Right at the beginning, you said, you know, you've been through a lot. And I said, yeah, I've been through a lot uniquely as Jonathan Andrews, but everybody, everybody experiences hardship. And so he says, you can't control that the wind blows on us all, but you can control how you set your sail. I love that. Yeah, a quick win for anyone that's interested. If you just YouTube Jim Rohn and you you YouTube uh, learn this skill, he has a two-hour seminar. It's obviously free because it's on YouTube and it's, it's him talking about personal development. And the reason why he thinks it's so foundational is because you can have more than you've got because you can become more than you are. And because I take myself everywhere I go, like I'm standing here in a room in Airbnb in Cancun, Mexico, um, you know, I, whether I'm in Toronto or I'm in Mexico or I'm in Costa Rica, it doesn't matter. I'm taking myself wherever I go. So I want to put myself in the best position to be successful by working on me. Right. Exactly. You hit the nail right on the head. We cannot control. There are certain things that we cannot control, but what we can control is how we respond to what happens to us. Set our sail to, to wherever we want to go. Now, a lot, yeah. of pe- a lot of people don't know your background, but as, as a young man, there was someone in your life that killed himself and that had a profound effect on you. Do you mind sharing that story with us? Yeah, happy to. I actually did um, a speech a few weeks ago and I shared this story, and so it's fresh, and I'm happy to to talk about it for the listeners. Um, just for anybody that's listening, that you know has lost someone in their lives, um, this may be uh, triggering. So I apologize in advance, but I think it's worthwhile. And there's there's a lot of positive takeaways from this. Um, when I was a boy, I feel like the world was my oyster, man. Like I. Like I had a lot of energy as a kid. So my parents put me in gymnastics, but like, as soon as that got worked out and I, and I wasn't flying off the walls and screaming at people and excited, you know, they got me in, into training and using my body. Um, like I was athletic and I was driven and, uh, you know, I was, you know, kids, I could hang out with other kids and it was fun. Um, and, uh, and that changed really fast for me. Um, it was like the world was my oyster. And then all of a sudden, um, I suffered a devastating downward spiral. I was medically diagnosed with clinical depression and I was on the verge of drowning. And it, you alluded to it um, right before high school. I had a close family friend. His name was Dean. Just for context, I played hockey with the son. He was friends with my dad. He helped my dad build our deck. He, um, he made my grandpa's dentures. He was a denturist. So he was real involved with our family. I remember you know, playing road hockey on his, uh, on his son's street with, with their family. And I could always hear him and my dad laughing from his garage. And one day my teacher sat me down in the library in elementary school beside two of my best friends. And she broke the news. She said, Dean was found in his garage and he was hanging from a rope. Mm. And that was the first time. It wasn't the last time we've, I've, uh, I've lost some really good men in my life. Uh, but that was the first time that I had lost a man. Um, he killed himself. And uh, it was as if, I'm not sure what it was, frankly, Paul, but at the time it seemed like all my friends and family grieved and they moved on and, and I didn't, right. uh, I felt small. Um, it was as if all of a sudden the sun stopped shining for me. And uh, over the course of months, it's another Jim Rohn quote I really like. He says that success is just a few simple disciplines practice every day. 
and uh, failure is the 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 antithesis of that the opposite which is failure is just a error and judgment made every day and so now i'm in this place where I, i'm feeling small and i'm feeling alone um, problems that used to feel like small ripples like deadlines peer pressure girls all of a sudden feel overwhelming and like tsunamis um, i'm thinking to myself how could this happen you know i just saw you smile like i just saw you laughing didn't make any sense to me and now I'm, i go into high school paul and i start making a lot of poor errors in judgment like i said um hanging out with the wrong kids start skipping class my I stopped, I stopped playing hockey and I stopped doing gymnastics. And so I wasn't exercising anymore. I wasn't uh, taking care of my, my health at all. And my sleep schedule was screwed up. And so all of these things kind of snowballed into uh, being diagnosed with clinical depression six months later. And it was so bad that I got to the point where uh, I just wanted to feel something. And so I was self-harming. I was cutting myself. And uh, I had a lot of moments where I felt so alone that I thought about taking my life. I thought about killing myself. Wow. And, uh, and uh, I'm really lucky that I lived with my parents. I'll say that. Yeah. Your father played a significant role in, uh, yeah. In, in helping you. Can you explain how your father uh, reacted to what was going on and what he did to help you? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and this is one of the reasons why circle up so important to me, mm-hmm. especially because um, like post-secondary, as an example, a lot of post-secondary students, it uh, doesn't matter if they're men or women or whoever they are, they leave the home. And when they, if they experience challenges like this, and a lot of them do, then they don't have that family structure around them that were paying very close attention, that knew what they were like all the time. And so if they see a change, they actually notice the change. Um, so I got really lucky that I lived at home and, you know, my parents noticed that I wasn't going to, like, I wasn't getting up for school. And obviously that was totally different. Um, they noticed that I started uh, smoking weed and doing drugs. And they noticed that I stopped going to hockey and all these things. And um, there's, if, if anyone's, I mentioned jack.org before the, the youth charity for youth mental health education, they have a award-winning website called be there.org. Be there as in like someone shows up for you, they're, they're there for you. Yep. And they've got five golden rules on there. And when I say my dad saved my life, it's because he was there for me every single day. And he showed that he was there for me. And he showed by coming into my room, we would struggle every morning about trying to get up for bed. Um, The one day that really transformed my life is I had been diagnosed with clinical depression. I was on antidepressants. I was doing counseling. I wasn't going to class, but he showed up every morning (laughs) trying to get me out of bed. And uh, one day uh, he came in. And uh, we struggled back and forth for over an hour. And uh, he, I thought I won because he left. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go back <laughs> to sleep now. And he came and he burst back into the room. And this time he came in with a big bucket of water and he poured it all over me. And uh, that got me up. And he also got my attention because he, he sat down on the drenched sheets and he looked me in the eye and he said, son, I don't know what you're going through, but I promise to sit here as long as you need. He said, you are not alone. You will never be alone. What a powerful message. And, uh, and uh, he didn't just say it, Paul, he meant it. Cause every day he was there, he showed up consistently and he created an environment and a space. He really gave me a gift and he saved my life because he showed me how to be a committed listener and he showed me how to create a safe space and he showed me what it means to actually, I don't know if I can swear on the show. Sure you can. How to, how to give a fuck about somebody. Right. Right. Because he really cared about me. And I know I'm his son, but um, you know, I've seen people in my life do that for other people and do that for me. And I've been able to do that for other people because of that lesson that he taught me. What a powerful story. Uh, and you've hit on so many things. The, the fact that you, everybody reacts to adversity and setbacks differently. And some will, they don't get over it. They just learn to, I guess, get past it. Uh, whereas other people like yourself in this particular situation, it hit you hard. And 
as a result of that, of course, your behavior uh, changed and, and you're, you're the way that you describe it, you know, the, the sun wouldn't shine, the waves turned into tidal waves, all that kind of stuff. And the fact that your father never gave up on you, that's what we need more of in this life. We need exactly your father's speech was so amazing and it reached you. And I guess the shock and the fact that he was always there and never, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the shock of the water, like, what? holy, yeah. geez, what the heck, right? It was a wake up call. It was a wake up call. But Kudos to you on so many levels for having not only survived that, but gone on to help so many other men uh, in situations like this. So let's get into that. With Jack.org that you're a part of, what is it that you all do there? Yeah, it's a similar origin story to the one that I shared about Dean. And like I said, he wasn't the only man that's ever taken his life that I've, that I've known, a young man that I grew up in. In my hometown, he was really close friends with my sister and that friend group because he was a year older. Um, Randy Bag took his own life. And um, a few of my closest friends, my best friend who's in the, the other room, uh, his, his father took his own life. And uh, another friend of mine that I went to work with took his own life last year. And Jack.org started because um, there was a young man at Queens University who was struggling with his mental health and he was in crisis and his family didn't know about it. Like I said, he was in post-secondary and he took his own life. And that young man's father, Eric Windler, turned probably one of the most devastating things that could ever happen to a man, losing his son. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he decided that he wanted to change the world and leave it better than he found it so that this would never happen to another family again. And so Jack.org started as a way to talk about mental health for young people. And it transformed from, you know, Eric Windler going to schools and communities to talk about Jack's story and became a peer-to-peer model where young people would talk to other young people about mental health rather than a psychologist or a psychotherapist. Not that that wouldn't be effective, but it totally is different when a young person shares a relatable story from their experience to another young person. It's totally transformational and it creates movement and it gets people into action. And so when I go into a school now, uh, because Jack Doror trains young leaders to go out into their communities and have these conversations, these meaningful, important conversations about mental health with young people. Um, it, it, uh, it just, you can't, once I leave that school, the school will never be the same because they've never had this conversation before. And it's coming from someone that looks like them, sounds like them and is going through the same things that they're going through right now. And uh, I will always be uh, in debt and I will always have gratitude for Jack.org for teaching me what they've taught me and presenting me with the leadership opportunities to be able to go into communities and, and make a difference. Well, you're a tremendous spokesman for them. I can tell just in the short period of time that you've been talking is that you you certainly understand what it is like to go through depression. You understand what it's like to be a young person and to share that story with other people. That's a remarkable thing. And jackdog.org, you're welcome. Jack.org is something that we've got to all look into. Now, a lot of people, a lot of men, a lot of women, a lot of people are struggling with their mental wellness, uh, especially now during COVID-19. And again, I went and said it, especially now, that's not true. But now it seems heightened. There's a lot more suicides going on. For our listeners, if there's something that they're struggling with, what are some of the symptoms that might indicate to them, other than the fact that they're, they're sad or they're blue, what are some of the other symptoms uh, for them that might indicate that they are in a depression? There are a lot of red flags. And what I'll say is that because each one of us is unique, when we look for red flags, we're looking for changes in thoughts, feelings, or behaviors. And it is, uh, everything is, is based off relation, right? Everything's relative. So it's based off the individual. So what's a change in me may look like a difference in a change and you, Paul. So as an example, if I am uh, playing hockey and I'm an athlete and I stop going to practice, 
it doesn't mean it's a red flag, but there's a change. And so you can then go into that and say, okay, what's going on here? So another example is if you're a young person and uh, typically you care about your grades and you want to do well in school and all of a sudden you don't, you just have this, this block, this resistance, this about signing into your class or walking into the hallways, you know, that could be a change in your thoughts and your feelings where, you know, someone may have always had anxiety going to school and that wouldn't be different from them for them. Mm-hmm. But somebody that, you know, didn't have that experience and now has that experience is something's changed and so that could potentially be a red flag. So we're looking for changes in thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And these things can, you know, often be, uh, we're looking for things that last long. So as an example, if I was sick and I didn't show up to hockey practice because I was sick, um, that wouldn't be long lasting. But if I stopped going for weeks at a time, you know, there would be good reason for my friends to call me or message me and say, Hey man, you haven't showed up at practice. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just maybe for, for, you know, more mature audience, if it's, you know, when it comes to work, as an example, let's say you're a manager in a company and you notice that one of your employees who's typically really well put together, you know, they, you know, maybe they've always got their makeup done or they, you know, they're always dressed sharply. And all of a sudden they start coming into the office consistently looking disheveled or looking tired or um, they don't have a smile on their face anymore. You know, they used to come to the water cooler and chat with people every day. Now that they're sitting in a different spot, maybe in the corner, uh, things, things, things like that. So it's changes in the individual can be signs of red flags. Right. And what you just described, if anybody is feeling that, um, it's, it's all right to reach out to somebody and to open up. And for those people in your circle who notice this, what would you, uh, other than the fact that you go to them and you say, hey, you know, what are you going through or, or what's going on? Is there anything else that you would uh, recommend for people to say or to do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up. And I, I'll, I'll just preface this by saying there's really two ways to be there. There's a way to be there for yourself. So self-care, right. Um, and there's a way to be there for other people and to start with being there for yourself and noticing changes in yourself. The fundamental to noticing a change in yourself would be to know thyself, right? To have self-awareness, to spend time observing uh, your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors. How do I live my life? What, what, what are the, what's the quality of my thoughts on a daily basis? And there's tons of ways to create self-awareness, uh, whether you want to journal, whether you want to meditate, whether you want to, um, you know, just have a, have a dialogue with yourself about how you're doing, looking in the mirror. There's all sorts of ways to create self-awareness. Um, I personally like to do all of those things. Um, so, First, to know what your baseline is before you would ever know what a change in that baseline would be, would be the first way to take care of yourself is, is uh, to notice something's changed, to have self-awareness. And now if we're talking about being there for someone else, how to have that conversation, I would recommend again. I love these guys. Jack.org has the, oh, it's an award-winning website for health. Um, they actually partnered with Lady Gaga's, um, I'm trying to remember what her, so it's be there.org and um, they, they partnered with that brand in the U S but uh, it's the five golden rules on how to be there for someone. And they lay it out real simple. There's stories of people having conversations with others in their lives that they care about that have struggled in the past. And to keep it simple, the first one is essentially say what you see. So as an example, uh, Paul, if I saw, if I, you know, you and I were close and I noticed something had changed Let's say, as an example, you always show up on time. And now every time I see you, you're 15 minutes late, you're disheveled, you're rushed, you look anxious. Saying what you see, uh, I'll just, for the visual, uh, on one side, there could be what you see and what happened. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side is what you make that mean. So I see you're late. If I assume that that's because you're depressed or stressed or anxious, then, and I say, Hey, Paul, I noticed you're late and it's probably because you're, you're anxious. I I think you might be anxious. Like what's going on instantly. You're defensive because I'm not saying what I saw. I'm saying what I think it means rather than me saying, Hey, Paul, I noticed that you haven't been showing up on time. Uh, Usually you're on time. I want to let you know, I care about you. 
And if there's anything that's going on, maybe there isn't, and that's, that's no problem. I just wanted to say, I notice you've been late and it's, it's uncharacteristic of you. What's going on. Right. It's a very soft and unless they're, unless they're really having a, a challenge, like it's very hard to, to interpret that in a negative way. It's, I care about you. This is how I usually see you show up. And this is what I'm noticing. And I just want to make sure that everything is all right. And I want to let you know that I'm a place where if there is something going on, you can share that with me. Mm-hmm. What a what a powerful way. I, I, it's just a matter of a few chosen words that don't accuse or don't put someone in a defensive mode. The way that mm-hmm. you choose your words shows your love and support and encourages them to open up if they feel like it. That's wonderful. Yeah, there's five golden rules. The first one is say what you see. The second one is show you care. And okay. most people wouldn't be asking, or a lot of times, you know, you think there may be something going on, but you don't want to, you know, you don't know how to approach it, or even that gives you anxiety to consider opening up. And so just saying and letting them know that you care is really positive for opening up a space. Another way to be there for other people is when you're struggling to remember that it's a two-way street by me having conversations with my roommate and best friend about what I'm going through, it actually makes it okay for him to do the same thing with me. Right. Because I've already established trust. I've already created a bridge where these are conversations that are on the table. And I really appreciate that we can have these, these dialogues, these conversations. Mm, That's, that's powerful right there. Exactly. And trust is such a big component. of Yeah, man. Oh my God. Well, here's the foundation of circle up is uh, trust and confidentiality. As men, we're very competitive by nature. And I'm not saying it needs to be that way, but that's the game we're playing is we're competitive. That's the mm-hmm. game that we're playing that we mm-hmm. said, okay, that's, that's what we're going to do. And in a competitive environment, basically anything can be used to your advantage. And so me going out and talking to, um, you know, the guy in the office who's, you know, you know, just as good at sales with me, I wouldn't want to talk to him about all the struggles I'm having at home because that's an opportunity for him to get a leg up in business. When we go into a circle up environment where we've created a foundation of trust and confidentiality, nothing that you say, see, hear, or do is goes outside of this circle. It's confidential. You can trust this space. This is a non-competitive environment. What we call it is taking your mask off. What do you mean by that? Taking your mask off. Uh, some people may not like this idea. I'm okay with that. I'm open-minded to having discussions with people that might not like this idea, but I don't wear the same mask when I'm talking to my mom as when I'm going out on a date and I'm interested in a woman and pursuing her because I think she's attractive and a good suitor. I'm wearing a different mask. Right. If that makes sense. It's not a lack of authenticity because it's still Jonathan Andrews. It's, I know that my words will impact where I go. And when I'm with my mom, I'm basically going to do anything she tells me to do because she's, <laughs> I'm her son and uh, I'm going to be agreeable. And she wants me to do, take out the garbage. No problem. I'm going to do that. Um, on a date, I, you know, I'm going to tell stories. I want to tell jokes. I want to, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a different environment. And so when we come to our, our, our men's team, and we're wearing this mask on maybe salesperson, father, um, investor, business owner, all these different, these different parts of our life. It's a space where you could finally take it off and you could be real, you can be vulnerable. And um, I actually don't recommend that with any person ever. This is a place taking your mask down and being completely authentic is a environment that you wanna consciously create. Like you said, the word trust, you know, trust, tr- you know, make sure you develop relationships with people you genuinely trust. Right. And then anything's on the table. My dad, I can talk about anything. What would the third golden rule be? Uh, the third golden rule is to listen. It's essentially paraphrasing, listen without judgment. Right. So if somebody does decide to confine in you, don't try to solve their problems. It's not about you. If you genuinely care, the most beneficial thing for this person, and here's a, I, I love this idea, and I think it's so important. Um, let me take a step back and say, one of my favorite philosophy mentors is a guy named Alan Watts. Yes, yes. Yeah, Alan is, 
hilarious and cunning and such a phenomenal speaker. You can listen to hours of him lecture and never be bored. I always wish that my teachers in school really cared about how they deliver because (laughs) it would have been way more entertaining to be in their classes. So uh, Alan's job, he describes himself as a philosophical entertainer, a spiritual entertainer. And he takes Eastern philosophy like Zen and Buddhism and things of that nature and makes it easy easily accessible for the Western world. And one of the ideas that he shares about is anxiety is like a bringing a microphone too close to the speaker. So the closer you bring it to the speaker, the more the sound reverberates. We've all been in a, in an auditorium where the, you know, the speaker just all of a sudden was resonating so deeply that it was a high pitched squeak or whatever it was. And it's, it's a, you know, terrible for the ears. And when somebody overthinks and they get in their head, it's like bringing the microphone close to the speaker where their thoughts just keep repeating and cycling and they're creating stories and they are, um, hype, uh, they're creating visions for the, for the future of what things could happen and this could happen and that could happen if that could happen. Um, the reason why listening is so powerful is because if I give you the space, Paul, to share anything that's going on, then those, that internal dialogue of that resonance that's echoing and getting stronger and stronger can finally dissipate. Right. Because you finally have a place to just talk about all the thoughts you've been having, all the chatter in your mind. We call it in our men's circle monkeys. Yeah. Just let the monkeys out. Because as, as, uh, as soon as you put them on the table, they don't seem as bad. That's why journaling can be so powerful for people because they have all these problems that they think about. But as soon as you put the worst case scenario down on paper, it's really not that bad. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, listening without judgment and without trying to intercept their conversation by saying, oh yeah, I know that's not that big of a deal. Or, you know, this has actually happened to me before and this is what I did about it. It's just, uh, we've all heard about active listening. Yes. It's Paul, could you tell me more about that? Oh yeah, I certainly can. To be uh, to actively listen is a muscle. It is really listening with not the intent of speaking. It is really with the intent of understanding. And you said it yourself a little bit earlier, the gift of a committed listener. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people think that listening is not a big deal, but it certainly is. And if you listen well, and I know, Jonathan, that you'll agree with this, or I, at least I think you will, is that <laughs> it takes a lot of energy to be an active listener. It is yeah. exercising uh, with the purpose of really truly connecting and understanding. And as you said, without judgment and just let yeah. the other person and not think about the next thing you're going to say. Like, oh, I think I can fix your problem. Or, oh, yeah, as you said, I went through this before. No, no, it's not about you. It's about uh-huh. the person speaking. I couldn't agree more. And, and I'll say it actually takes more energy to think about the next thing you're going to say as somebody's talking than it is to be present. Right. 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 If, if there's a five second pause between them speaking and you speaking because you were trying to understand what they said and then make a decision on what you were going to say um, in the present moment, rather than trying to come up with something and you're totally missing everything they're saying because you're thinking about what am I going to say? That actually takes a, a lot more energy than it does to just be fully present and listen. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's very, very powerful. Uh, what a wonderful uh, rule that is to, to live by and to exercise uh, when you're speaking to someone. And hopefully they'll open up to you. If, if people are interested in, in the golden rules, uh, it's be there.org. And um, there's, like I said, great stories there for you to check them out. Um, what I'll add about you know, just that last piece around listening is that the reason why listening is better than trying to tell them what you did or give them advice about what you think they should do is because advice that I give to somebody else, like advice that they give to me, either I don't ever end up taking it on, or even if I do take it on, I don't have ownership of the idea. Either I wasn't fully bought in or I didn't come up with it. And I really like a book, it's called um, The Coaching Habit. And it's a, I think it's a name's Michael Stainer. And he, he talks about the difference between giving someone advice versus facilitating them coming up with their own solution. And so by listening, you give them the space to be able to talk about what they're going through. And then eventually 
come around to what they're going to do about it if they decide to do anything about it versus me telling them what to do. If they come up with their own solution and I say, is that something you really want to do? And they say, yes. And they say, and I say, okay, well, you know, when are you going to do that? And they say, this is when I'm going to do it. And they say, okay, great. So if, if by that day I gave you a call, you would have done it. (laughs) (laughs) And then they say, yes, well then, you know, they've decided. Right. Right. They took ownership. It's their idea. The chances of them taking action on that idea and actually beginning the process of moving their life forward is so much higher than if I just say, hey, Paul, if you meditate for 10 minutes tomorrow, you know, that might help your anxiety. And you're going to say, oh, that's a great idea, dude. Um, and either not do it or do it only once, but not enough to really make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, when you come up with the idea, whether it's meditate one minute or anything else, it could be transformational. Very, very true. When you when you have ownership over a decision uh, that is not made for you, but one that you've made yourself, you're more likely to put the energy into making that happen. Yeah, and I think I think you good. feel responsible to the uh, to the other person too. You've made that commitment to you, but you kind of feel responsible to to deliver on on your your words. Accountability. Ah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's very, very powerful. And I know I'm going to uh, put the link uh, for bethere.org uh, as yeah. well. Yeah, as well as jack.org. What would you go into the fourth? Uh, can you go into the fourth for us? Yeah, the fourth is know your role. And that's essentially like, it's, it's two parts. It's um, first of all, you may not be the right person to have this conversation. Uh, sometimes people that are struggling with their own mental health tend to um, care a lot about people. And so they'll want to go out and see if they can help. And if someone else is struggling and you're struggling, maybe you're not the best person to be able to help them. But knowing your role means knowing when it's time to connect them to somebody else, um, whether that's a professional resource like a family doctor, a guidance counselor in high school, a psychotherapist, a counseling, maybe another friend. Like as an example, one of the big things that comes up is I say, hey, this is what I've noticed. I really care about you what's going on? And they say, none of your business. Or they say, I don't want to talk about it. And so there, there could be resistance. Maybe you're not the best person to talk to them about that. Just because you noticed and you care doesn't mean that you need to be the one that has the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so within reason, if it makes sense to reach out to somebody else and say, hey, I've noticed this in Paul, you're closer to him than I am. Um, have you noticed this as well? Right. Right. Uh, does it make sense for you to reach out? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. So knowing your role means maybe you're not the right person to talk to them. And then the fifth one is connect to help. Um, in an emergency situation, that could be 911. Um, and a crisis looks like immediate risk of harming yourself or someone else. And that's when a professional, that would be like me having a heart attack, immediate risk of me dying. Mm. I would call 911 and have an emergency team come help me because they're experts right? For my physical health, no stigma, not taboo. Right. Right. If I get shot, I'm going to call 911. If someone is having a crisis with their mental health and for whatever reason, they're out of control, then we want professionals. And that includes uh, 911 or some emergency response team for, for mental health. And so being there for someone, uh, you know, hopefully it never, never gets there. Um, so Getting connecting to help would be, you know, connecting to a family doctor as an example, and maybe taking them there, go waiting in the waiting room with them, uh, being there to support them, maybe helping them make the call to their their company's mental health line or a mental health resource, any of those things. Right. And thank you for sharing those wonderful guidelines. They really are guideposts and principles, right? So we start off yeah. by, by uh, say what you see. Uh, number yep. two, show that you care. Number three, listen without judgment. Number four, know your role. And number five, connect to help. That, those, are, those are powerful, powerful uh, guidelines for anybody out there who is either witnessing somebody struggling with their mental wellness or who are suffering from anxiety, depression, or whatever. Thank you very much for sharing that. You, the work that you're doing, Jonathan, is extraordinary. And the work that everybody at Jack. Org is extraordinary. The uh, taking 
this incident where somebody killed himself and, and turning it into something that you can help others with has reached out to so many people uh, with jack.org. I was looking at their website a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. What could you recommend to people right now? Or let me ask you this question. What are you working on right now? Well, I'll start off by saying that I, I mentioned a quote before from Jim Rohn, you can have more than you've got because you can become more than you are. So that's the challenge, right? If you don't have what you want right now, if you're not living the life that you've always wanted, you can always do something different. You can always become more. And so in that pursuit of becoming more, um, I was working for a, a phenomenal tech company uh, throughout the last few years. And they had an education program at work where they were asking you to invest in yourself so you could show up at work and be more skilled. So I took a course called Landmark. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, Paul, but they do you know personal development seminars. And the final seminar in their curriculum for living was called the Self-Expression and Leadership Project. And the whole goal was to provide a solution or bring together uh, community that you're part of for a challenge they're facing. And I had done all these years of youth mental health education. And then I did this thing in 2018 called the men's weekend. And it's basically just a seminar for, you know, for men, they have a women's weekend as well, but this was a seminar for men and it's about uh, masculinity, honor, integrity, things like that. Like the foundational elements of how to be, uh, how to show up as a strong man in the world. And so I did this men's weekend and I've been done doing all this work in youth mental health education. And then when I put the two together and, you know, that's relevant right now, because when we're recording this, it's November, uh, November, uh, November, you know, you've got a sweet stash going there. Paul. <laughs> I don't know if the, the podcast listeners are going to be able to hear that, but yeah. I'll be able to see that. But, um, you know, they, they transitioned to talking about men's mental health. And so when I started to get into this men's space and seeing how they related, um, I found that in Canada, 75% of suicides were men. Wow. I wasn't and aware globally, of globally. Yeah. It's 75% and globally every minute on average, a man dies by suicide every single minute. So over 60 by the time we recorded this podcast, man. And so when I found those two, uh, my self-expression leadership project, I decided to call it circle up because at the beginning of all of our men's team meetings, we say, all right, men circle up. And that's when we check in with each other and we begin the meeting. And so I said, let me, let me try this. Um, so I, started telling my communities about it. I made videos and, um, you know, wrote down copy on Facebook and Instagram and started calling my friends and getting them on the phone and saying, okay, on February 28th, we're going to have a circle up and we're going to get together and we're going to talk about men's mental health. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it was the coldest, snowiest day in February. <laughs> it was right before the, the coronavirus um, pandemic, like when they started doing quarantine and closing businesses, work from home. February 28th and in this uh, Humber Bay Park in Toronto right on the lakeshore we, we had a fire pit set up and the waves were rolling in and crashing and it was the perfect it was just the it was the perfect environment 40 men got together around a fire to talk about who they are why they care about um, men's mental health and you know what we could do about it and that was the very first circle up and it was an eight week program, very rudimentary. Like I was at the time, I was just doing it by myself. And today, because of the success of that first experience, that eight week program, um, we have dozens of men who are, in my opinion, some of the most dedicated, uh, powerful leaders in the masculinity space that lead Circle Up um, as just 100% volunteers because they know what makes a difference because their higher purpose is how can I serve other men and give them the benefit of what I know, which is how to show up with honor, how to show up with integrity, what it means to be committed, how to keep your word, these real basic principles that we've lost, that we've right. lost. Right. We want to bring back the, there's a lot about, there's a lot happening in the world talking about toxic masculinity. We want to bring back empowered masculinity and the positive masculine presence, both in relationships with our partners and being example for children. And so that's the work we do. 
And, uh, you know, we've graduated now over five circle up teams. I, I just got this testimonial video back from our video editor about the, the testimonials that men made from their experience. It is mind blowing. And I was so impressed and blown away with the results that men have been getting in their lives. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm not sure if you have any specific questions about what we do, but we should night November 26th for the next circle up team that's starting in December. How can people join this Circle Up meeting? Uh, if they're interested in learning about us in the introduction, uh, we've got a Facebook page. Okay, um, I'll, I'll put Circle that. Up. Yeah, I'll put that link uh, in in the bio. Yeah, and we also have a Instagram page, and I run the Instagram page, so okay. it looks pretty good. Don't don't uh, <laughs> mind if I humble brag there. I think I think it looks great, and so we'll always respond a few direct messages on Instagram, and we also have a website. Um, you can go to circleup.ca mm -hmm. and it'll redirect you to a different website called the brotherhood, Okay, uh, the brotherhood.ca. And, uh, basically the brotherhood is a, is a group of over a hundred men where we just, we care about, um, creating men's teams and uh, circle up is one of the projects that they work on. And there is a tab for circle up and you can message us there and become part of the night of November 26th. And they can also message me so if they want to. If they, you know, they were inspired by this conversation, they want to chat and connect, I'd be happy to connect them to that introduction for Circle Up. And I know that a lot of people will be taking you up on that wonderful offer because uh, you've touched on a lot of really important things. You're right. Um, we've lost so many of the male characteristic qualities that make us men in a society where uh, everybody needs men, everybody needs women, and we, yeah. we just have different roles. And we kind of lost some of that. And we're seeing the results of that throughout uh, you know, people's relationships and throughout the world. Mm. And I applaud each and every one of you and you, Jonathan, uh, you're so well-spoken and passionate about what you do. Thank you so much for your servitude to men and for what you're doing for so many people. You're changing lives, brother. And uh, there's, that's an honorable thing to do. Um, and you talked about want to leave the world a better place. And you, you mentioned that about somebody else, but I'm going to say that about you. Uh, you are going to leave this world a better place for having been here and for sharing your message and for doing everything that you do. Um, and I just applaud you for that. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate it. And Is I there, said uh, the last line in my, my speech a couple of weeks ago was uh, I, my dad was in the audience and I asked him to stand up and I said, all I want is to be the man you've been for me, for the men in my life, because I know it really only takes one person who cares enough to change the world. That is a powerful message. I thank you so much for coming on the show. I could talk with you this all is night. Fun, man. This is great. This is fun, bro. Uh, yeah, you know, um, are you willing to do this again sometime down the road? Yeah, absolutely. For um, sure. You, you've been a great guest. My God, you're so uh, full of great knowledge. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, we, we have curriculum and curriculum and curriculum uh, at Circle Up, and I just finished reading 1984, so I'm always trying to get, the good, get good information in my brain. So whether you want to talk about Jim Rohn or Alan Watts or uh, you know, Jack.org or Circle Up or masculinity, self-sufficiency, uh, happy to. And I did enjoy the experience. So thanks for having me on, man. Thank you very much for being on. And uh, I will talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient. 